Thanks, Dan. Good morning. How are we all doing this morning? Good. Hands up if you got a Mother's Day present. Hands up if someone forgot to give you a Mother's Day present. Oh, someone's in the bad books. Okay. Um, If you've got a Bible with you, uh, I would love if you could uh, turn to Lamentations. It's uh, a book in the the Old Testament, and we'll read uh, a couple of verses from Lamentations chapter 1. It says says this, Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her, they have become her enemies. After afflictions and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells amongst the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan, her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness they have fled before the pursuer. Today I want us to talk about learning to lament, something that we don't often talk about in the church. We like to talk about the fuzzy, happy things, but sometimes I think it is helpful for us to talk about what it means to lament. And I wonder, as I brought up that moment of Mother's Day, what that did for you. When I said, who brought a Mother's Day present? And I wonder if some of you were sitting there and you were thinking, I don't have a mother to give a Mother's Day present to. Over the last couple of months, I've had conversations with different people about different things that have been going on in their lives. I had someone come into our home and was breaking their heart because of deep pain and grief and loss at a past relationship. I've spoken with people who have had a daughter who is causing them so much grief because of the things and the actions that they're doing and they do not know what to do. I've witnessed a mother speaking to her daughter and telling her that she is about to die. We have in our lives And in your lives, lots of differing situations, lots of things that are going on in our lives. 
And we need to start to be able to learn how to lament. On a day like Mother's Day, which brings so much joy for so many, for others, it causes deep grief and reminds them of losses that they have within their own lives. Today we're going to learn what it means to lament. But as we do, let's just come before our God, the God who brings peace and love into our suffering. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the things that are in our lives, the good things and the hard things. And Lord, we ask that as we look at such a tricky subject that brings out lots of different reactions for us all, we pray that we find your comfort and your peace in amongst our grief and our loss and our pain and our heartache. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. This word lament is something that um, we often think about and we, we think about it perhaps just as, as crying or, or something that it's just a small aspect of things that we do. But to lament is to bring about our pain and our loss and our grief and our heartache and allow it to be exposed. Lamentations is a book within the Bible that we often don't go to because it's a bit weird. We don't really understand lots of the different references that it makes. It's strange and perhaps we think that it doesn't have anything to say to us. But these five chapters, these five poems of Lamentations have so, so much depth to it. And once we peel off some of the layers, we start to understand that it has huge implications for how we are to learn how to lament and how we are to be as people of God. The book of Lamentations are these five poems and they're mysterious. It's almost like God is on trial. There's a lot of suspicion about who God is and what he is going to do. The background to these stories, these poems, is that the, the people of Judah, this tribe of Judah who is living in Jerusalem, have been put into exile. They have been hauled out of the place that was their holy place, the place that God had given to them. And they were sent and captivated by Babylon. And so they had been ripped out of this place that was to be their place. And there was a few people who were left there, a few people there still in that place. And it's thought that these laments, these five poems, come from those people who are still there in Jerusalem. And they are mourning, they have grief and pain and, and heartache and loss at the fact that they had this place. And now no one is able to stay there because they have been taken captive. In those times, the connection to the soil, to the place that you were, was so important to them. The place that was theirs, this city, Jerusalem, was their city. It was what God had given to them. And so they have been ripped out of that place that was to be theirs. 
And so this place that they have, this place that is supposed to be theirs, is no longer theirs, and they are in deep grieving from it. And this is what these poems are all about, is about that grief and that loss. And we start to understand more about what it is that they're thinking as we read on in these passages. Within these poems, there are three people, three characters. Firstly, there is the narrator. Then there is a woman. And then in chapter three, we, we find out about a man who starts to speak. We'll probably just look a wee bit about the narrator and the women at this time, because uh, there's so much to unpack. But there are these three characters within it. It says this in the first uh, few verses. She dwells amongst the nation. She finds no resting place. This connection with the soil, this connection with where they were supposed to be has been ripped away from them. And the narrator says this, she dwells amongst the nation. She finds no resting place. The tribe of Judah are in this exile. They're in this geographical exile away from where they are supposed to be. But also for them, there is a spiritual exile. They have done things in their past. And as a result, they are in exile from God. And so this idea of, of who this God is and that God is on trial, there is this anger towards them. But the anger also stems from what they've done in the past. Healthy spirituality is always honest about what is the real response to what is going on. The narrator talks in this vivid way about the things that are happening to them. And he talks about them in this real and honest way. There is no messing about with it. He is telling it as it is. And he says of the, the situation, she has this, the dwelling amongst the nations, but she finds no resting place. She dwells, but she has no resting place. She doesn't know where she lives. And there's this geographical exile and this spiritual exile going on. But if we are going to lament in a way that is positive and healthy, then we have to be real about the situations that we're in and we have to respond to that in a real and honest way. In cultures and institutions and even in families, we have codes, things that we do. I often say to the children, you're a brown and we do it like this. It's like, we don't lie, you're a brown. We say these things whether they are conscious or subconscious. In our culture, we have this idea that we have a stiff upper lip. We have this resilience that is so ingrained within the DNA of, of how we're to get on. We just batter on with things. Within our culture, within our family, within institutions, even within our faith community, there are things that we are supposed to do. Things that are said and things that are not said that we think is the right way to go about things. But when we grow to lament, when we are honest about the real situations that happens, when we have that healthy spirituality in who God is, then it causes disruption. 
Because if we're honest about what is really going on for ourselves, then it allows us to express that and bring that out into the real sense. And sometimes that may cause disruption. I wonder if any of you have been to a funeral before. When you go to a funeral, there's, there's a kind of process that happens. So you walk in, perhaps it's at the crematorium or in a, in a church. And usually you have decided to wear black because that's what we do in this situation. And as you walk in, you walk in silently. And perhaps you shed a tear, but you wipe it away quickly. You listen to the person who's speaking. They say some nice things about the person. And then the family at the end of the service come and they line up and you go and walk towards them. And you shake their hands. And perhaps you know them really well. And as you shake their hands, they see you and emotion comes up within them. And as that emotion comes up within them, they say these words to you. I'm so sorry for crying. That's bizarre, isn't it? So bizarre. Why are we, why is someone apologizing for crying? Surely that's the the perfect response in that situation. But something within our culture says that actually we need to suppress those emotions. We can't talk about those emotions. But in learning to lament, whatever grief or pain or loss or heartache that you are experiencing, we shouldn't have to apologize for them. I spent a wee bit of time in Nepal and uh, I was in the city of Kathmandu. And in the city of Kathmandu, there is a river that runs along it. And they have their funerals beside the river. And as I was walking over one of the bridges, I saw a funeral taking place. And there was women and men all round this person who had died. And they were thumping the floor with their hands. And they were crying and they were screaming. And my first thought of that situation was, how primitive. How primitive of them. Haven't we got it so much better in our culture? They are causing such a disruption. Everyone is looking at them. And the more I reflect on it, the more what I see is that actually maybe they've got something right and we have something wrong. Because I think within our culture, we have a culture of denial. We have a culture of denial where we see a situation that is really hard And we try and bolster it all up and we keep it down and we save face. I wonder if you remember when Princess Diana died. When Princess Diana died, there was this outpouring of grief at Buckingham Palace. You saw all these flowers getting laid, some on the first day, some on the second day, and then more and more and more and more before there was a sea of flowers all around them. One commentator on the situation described that as it was almost like everyone who had been grieving for someone else had this public opportunity to show their grief. 
because a public figure had died, it allowed them to be able to get it all out. We think that lamenting is just about crying. But Kathleen O'Connor, who wrote this lovely book on lamentations, says these words, to lament is to name what is wrong, what is out of order in God's world, and keeps human beings from thriving in all their creative potential. To lament is to name what is wrong, what is out of order in God's world, and what keeps human beings from thriving in all their creative potential. To lament is to refuse to be silent. To lament is to refuse to be silent. It is about exposing what is within us. It is naming what is wrong, what is out of order in God's world, and what keeps human beings from thriving in all their creative potential. To lament is not to be silent, it is to refuse that. It is about exposing it. In those first verses, it says these words, How deserted lie the city, once full of people. How like a widow is she. She, was, she who was a queen among them is now a slave. The Lamentations, this first poem is about this city. And it refers to it as a widow and as a slave. How can a city be a widow or a slave? A person can be a widow or a slave. But the narrator describes the city as a widow and a slave. How can this be? How can it be a widow or a slave? What we see in Lamentations, what we see in these poems, is not a list of what happened, but is images and pictures and poetry. Lamentations to lament is not about reporting on the facts and figures, but it is reporting, it is talking about the poetry and the pictures of what is happening. When you suffer, when you experience pain and loss and grief and heartache in your life, literal language fails you. What the narrator does here is that he takes the experiences that people are familiar with and talks about them and talks about it, what the city is experiencing. We all know what a widow is. We know and have perhaps seen or even experienced ourselves what that was like. We can see what a slave is like. We can imagine what it must feel like. And so when the narrator talks about this city as a slave and as a widow, we see it as something that has been bound together, that is no longer in its right place, that it has lost something that is completely to them. When you suffer, when you experience pain and grief, we need to give that expression because literal language fails us. If I was to say of someone that had hurt me, John, let's say it was John, and John comes to me 
And John said some nasty words, and it hurt me. I mean, you get what happened. But if I said that John came up to me and he stabbed me in the back with his words, and it crushed me to the floor, it's so over the top. But you know exactly how that feels. I felt like nothing because of what John did to me. Traditionally, human beings were part of tribes and they had this form of things that they would do in order to lament, whether it was dances or poetry or rhythm or prayers or liturgies. But in our modern world where we are so individualistic, We need to start to create those things for ourselves. And the church is in such a beautiful place where people gather together, where we say we are not just one, but that we are part of a family. And we need to start to learn to lament. We need to have places where people can come and they can dance and they can write poetry and they can have these different rhythms within their lives, prayers and liturgy, in order to lament. Jewish people each year will come together and they will read those five poems from Lamentations and they will offer to God their losses and their pain as a way each year of recognizing the things within their lives. We need to find language for our pain and it will be over the top. It will be that crushing to the floor. But it's it's a heartache expression. It is not an analysis. It is a heartache expression. It is not an analysis. The story goes on. And it's arranged in a certain way. Within each of the poems. The poems are all 22 verses. And they're all uh, named after a, a letter in the Hebrew alphabet and there's a structure and a flow to them in this first poem the first nine verses are just the narrator speaking and then all of a sudden out of nowhere the woman starts to speak and she says these words look Lord on my afflictions the enemy has triumphed Look, Lord, on my afflictions. And the enemy has triumphed. And then in verse 11, she starts to speak a little bit more. And she says, look, Lord, and consider. And then as you go on in the passages, we see that she says, look. And then she says, see. She says, look. And she says, she. And the way that this poem is structured is is telling us something. It is giving us an indication of what it is to lament. Because for those first nine verses, the woman wasn't able to speak. She wasn't able to talk about the things that were going on in her situation. She wasn't able to talk about this city, who she was, the things that had happened. And she was silent because she was in shock. And when we experience grief and loss and heartache, sometimes for the first wee while we are in shock and shock is normal. But over time, this woman starts to say these words, look, 
Look, see, see, look at the things that are happening. Within the Jewish tradition, along with reading the Lamentations each year, when someone uh, dies in their community, they have this act called sitting shiva. And sitting shiva is this time where people will come round to the house of the person who have died and they will sit there. They won't say words. They won't try and offer something. But they will just sit there. They will sit and they will acknowledge. Because sometimes our presence is enough. In chapter 2 and verse 9, it says these words. Uh, Sorry, verse 10. The elders of Daughter's Island sit on the ground. Sorry, I've lost my place. It says, says this words. She will sit there. Sorry, it's verse 13. I was getting confused. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wounds are as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? For this woman, what she is looking for is not someone to fix her situation, but for someone to be present within it. Throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2, she says, look, look, see, see. When she speaks, she is not looking for a solution. When we suffer, what we are looking for is someone to witness our pain. There is this inner battle within us of pain and suffering. There's the feeling that going on is going to be too hard and we just need someone to be willing to see it. The woman looks for someone just to see her pain. And then the narrator says to her these words, your wounds are as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? It's not a sense of trying to fix the situation. It is just this acknowledging that your wounds are as deep as the sea. Your wounds are as deep as the sea and who can heal you? To lament is to be there to recognize that you just want someone to see you. And you want someone to be willing to say to you, your wounds are as deep as the sea. Because when someone sees us, it gives us a sight to mourn. When someone sees us, it gives us a sight to mourn. A writer on Lamentations talks about the fact that people are not looking for insidious theodicy, but a sight to mourn. I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't know what insidious theodicy meant, so I looked it up. An insidious theodicy basically means, and perhaps you've experienced it, 
when you are going through something that is extremely hurtful and painful and someone says, maybe it was God's will that that happened. When is it ever right in a situation when someone is grieving and having experiencing loss that they need to hear those words, maybe it was God trying to teach you something? What people are looking for is not that insidious theodicy. This idea that that somehow we can explain it away with a God figure. But what we are looking for is a sight to mourn. For someone to see your pain and to say, I see it and I see how deep it is and how much the wounds are so open and raw for you and I am with you in the situation. In chapter 1 and verse 9, it says these words. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. In many situations where we lament, there is no reason for it. Things happen. And there is nothing that we can do in order to help that situation or make it better. Things happen. Suffering happens. But there are some situations where we had a part to play in it. And for the people who were writing these laments, they had a part to play in it. And their part that they played in it was that they stopped allowing God to be their God. And they started to want to be like everyone else and do things their own way. And the narrator calls them up about this. And he says to them, her filthiness clung to her skirt. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. That's pretty brutal talk. She is in this situation where she had a part to play. It talks about skirts and filthiness. This word filthiness is, is, a, is talking about being unclean. And cleanliness is such a, an important part for the Hebrew people. To be clean in the eyes of God is something that they are all looking for, all wanting to be. And the narrator is saying to the city, you were unclean, you were filthy. And then it talks about skirts And this is a euphemism for sex. And what it is saying is, you have gone and been with all the other cities and you have gone and done your own thing and you are now away from me. But then in chapter 2 and that verse 13, it says these words about the city. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem, to what can I liken you, that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Virgin daughter Zion. When we truly lament, 
when we recognize that some of our grief and our pain and our heartache may be some of our fault. We have to lament that as well. And sometimes that's hard. And then we have these brutal words of the filthiness clung to our skirts. But what the narrator then says in chapter 2 is that she is virgin daughter Zion. That there has been this restoration, this pull towards God again. When we lament and we have done something wrong, when we have played our part, we need to fess up to that. We need to own that. We need to acknowledge that. And that's what the, the woman did in these situations. She said, look, look, see, see, look what happened. And I'm sorry for that. And as she did that, the narrator says, Sir, what can I say to you, virgin daughter Zion? To lament has restoration as part of it. Whatever your situation Whatever is going on in your life. How deeply hurtful it is. We need to begin to lament. Let's not fall into the ideas of being a culture of denial. But let us expose what is really happening within us. And allow those things to come out. So that we can be the people that God has created us to be. And if there are times in our lives where there are parts of it where we see someone who is grieving, let us not go with insidious theodicy, but let us create space, a site to mourn. And let us be people who look to the God who is the God of restoration, the God who loves us, who brings his peace into our suffering and say we played a part and we're sorry for that and the, the God who restores says welcome back. To lament it's not an easy thing. It is not something that we do within our culture. But let us not deny that. Allow those things to be exposed so that we can be the people who God has created us to be. Let's pray together. Lord, for some of us, today is a hard day. And we ask that your peace and your love will draw close to us. And for those who are experiencing deep loss and grief, whether it's from a relationship or 
whether it's someone who has died and left a massive hole in our lives. We pray that we begin to lament about those things. That we don't apologize for the way in which we feel, but that we allow those things to come out. And for those of us who are still in shock of what has happened, may it be that us as a church community create sites for people to mourn. That we don't come rushing in with lots of words, but allow people to know that you are the God who restores and renews and brings us closer to you. Because in all circumstances, you, as are we, are running towards each other. We thank you for your love and your grace. Amen.